from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A year of war and its impact on people. The Holocaust was never again. Rwanda was never again. And we are watching never again unfold in front of us. An exclusive look at the challenges for folks living in Ukraine. USDA releases an early draft of its equity report. We have a first look at how it could impact county FSA committees. And the House Ag Committee discusses climate policy. To produce the same crop we produced uh, last year, we would have to have 100 million more acres cropped than 30 years ago. What it means for the Farm Bill today on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Farmers and ranchers continue to deal with uncertainty from inflation to regulation. And the leadership of the House Ag Committee says farm policy should address those challenges. Ag Day's Michelle Rook looks at how these may be addressed in the new Farm Bill. Clinton Chairman G.T. Thompson strongly criticized the Biden administration for the increased regulatory burdens being placed on producers, including the Waters of the U.S. rule. However, he was especially critical of the increased rules funding and emphasis being placed on climate change policy. Thompson says American farmers are the most productive in the world, and they're already sustainable, especially compared to other major competitors around the globe. He says the push in the new farm bill for more climate-smart agricultural programs is unnecessary. China and Brazil, both countries with comparable agriculture production levels to the United States, have increased their agriculture emissions by 86% over the last 30 years, while the United States has achieved a net decrease and agriculture emissions during that same time. However, we have seen this administration attack American production agriculture and make it harder for American producers to deliver feed, fuel, and fiber to consumers across the globe. Thompson asked American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval if true climate smart ag policies would increase ag production and displace the market share of countries like China and Brazil that are increasing their emission profiles and have not made strides in increasing productivity. You can't have sustainability without having efficiencies and doing one helps the other. Uh, we, uh, we are farmers that uh, if you look over the last three decades have uh, done a tremendous job in the sustainability area and, and we are doing more with less. As a matter of fact, to produce the same crop we produced uh, last year, we would have had to have 100 million more acres cropped 30 years ago. Thompson says the overregulation doesn't stop at climate change and needs to be throttled back in all areas of government. And it's his goal to make sure it doesn't infiltrate the writing of the new farm bill either. National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue testified as well that farmers and ranchers should be allowed to sustainably produce food, feed, fiber, and fuel. He says regulations when needed should be science-based and risk-appropriate and clear. The hearing also looked at other challenges facing farmers, such as inflation, high input costs, and rising interest rates. All right, thanks, Michelle. USDA releasing a lengthy interim report on discrimination within the department on Tuesday. The agency's Equity Commission calling for sweeping changes. Now, it presented more than 30 recommendations to extend opportunities to farmers of color and help remedy discrimination against them. Specifically, the report calls for greater diversity, equitable access to USDA programs, and accountability for the agency to follow through on changes. The report especially focused on diversifying county committees made up of elected local farmers who help with outreach 
and make decisions on farm service agency programs. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack adding USDA is committed to turning the tide and ensuring those who seek access to land, capital, markets, nutrition, assistance, and agriculture education and experience can do so regardless of their background. Speaking of Illinois, more cases of bird flu are being reported in the country right now, this time in Illinois. USDA confirming it in a commercial turkey flock in Wayne County, Illinois. The operation has more than 18,000 birds. This is the first case of HPAI in a commercial operation in that state. Cases last year in Illinois were either in non-poultry or backyard flocks. In the last 30 days, there have been 29 flocks confirmed in 14 states. Well, it looks like March will continue to roar as the snow keeps coming. Meteorologist Chuck Hebert joins us with the very latest. Well, we've got a pretty active week ahead of us here, but I wanted to just show you the precipitation that we can expect for today. Over in the Midwest, you're going to get a little dose there. That's from a, a disturbance that came out of the Rockies over by Minneapolis as well. And get this, we have yet another storm in the Los Angeles basin over in the mountains north of Phoenix. It is going to continue to rain and dump copious amounts of precipitation. Then that's headed to the Midwest where we're going to get a big storm later in the week. And we are getting in more heartbreaking photos from that dust storm over the weekend in the Southern Plains. Jake of Turpin, Oklahoma sharing this one, saying these are certainly trying times we are in right now. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Grain markets continue to race lower. We'll tell you what's behind the latest market moves coming up next in analysis. And later, the war in Ukraine has food insecurity as a real concern, but that's also true for the people living in the war zone. We'll see the realities on the ground today in the country. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. There's another down day in commodities except for cattle, so when will the selling pressure stop? Michelle finds out in this morning's Markets Now. Another down day Tuesday in the grains. Ted Seifert, Zaner Ag Hedge is joining us. And Ted, we've had relentless fund liquidation and technical selling. How much more do you think we're going to see? I mean, that's a really good question, Michelle. Uh, you would think that after five days of this and a 50 cent drops from last Wednesday's high in corn and a 70 cent drop from last Wednesday's high in soybeans, that we could be coming to an end, at least for the time being. The problem is, Michelle, we don't know what the fund positions were coming into this, right? So we so don't true. know how much they've gotten out of. It's, it's really, really, we're really in the dark as far as what the funds are at or what they're doing. Um, and then I'm also going to say that, you know, we had traded sideways to maybe just slightly higher for so long that there's a lot of pent up energy in these markets that had been looking for a, a clear direction. And I think after the last few days, we now have a clear direction. You also have a, a, a U.S. producer that had gotten lulled into complacency because Things have been sideways. You know, the, the fear of things going down had kind of really dissipated until now. So the question is, you know, what does the U.S. producer do after this? Now, I do think that we have gotten very oversold in a very quick period of time. Right. We should attempt to bounce. Now, whether we're going to whether that bounce gets uh, any sort of traction or not is really what remains to be seen. And that's going to be the question for the next couple of days.
So we've taken out 650 support in corn. We've taken out $15 support in beans. Where are the next support areas? Yeah, for corn, oof, uh, there's a little bit at 618 uh, on, on the May corn. The bigger one, though, is that gap that we have from last year, July, uh, which is $6 and a half a cent to up, down to 595 and a quarter. That is a big target on a chart and it has been for a long time. Uh, whether we get to that on this move or not, I don't know. But it does really feel like that is going to be a big target between now and that May contract exp expiration date or first notice date. Uh, and just based on what we've seen the last few days, it kind of feels like we're going to get there at some point. Where do new crop support areas come in in corn and beans? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> People aren't going to like me hearing or like hearing me say this, but the longer term, the big, big ticket support for December corn is at 480. And what about I beans? have a sneaking suspicion that if we don't have a major weather issue for this growing season, that 480 might be a big target. And for beans, it's about 1240. Wow. All right. Let's hope we don't get there. Thanks so much for joining us, Ted Seifert, Zener Ag Hedge. You can check out more at agweb.com. For professional marketing advice specifically tailored to your needs, call Zaner Ag Hedge at 312-277-0113. Chuck Heaver joining us here with our national forecast. And Chuck, we had this big storm earlier in the week. Sounds like there's another one on the way from the West Coast. Yeah, these Pacific Coast storms are just really unique and they're going to hit the LA basin and then push it right through the Midwest. Chicagoland, northern Indiana, the whole Midwestern part of the country is going to get hammered on Friday. Let's take a look at your forecast though. All right, we're going in the upper levels of the atmosphere. I want to show you this dip in the jet stream out to the west. That is going to continue to bring us yet another storm across the country. But otherwise, we're going to be in a zonal pattern through most of the week. On Thursday, this storm reinvigorates down to the south and pushes up into the Midwest. And you can see here just south of the Chicagoland area, which basically is going to put wintry mix to the north of that and then more rain and potentially some severe weather down to the south. Then that pushes out. Then we go back to a zonal pattern again, which is, means mild conditions through the weekend through most of the country. So it's going to be a relatively mild week, except for the storm that pushes through Thursday and Friday. Here's that storm and you can see out to the west all the precipitation starting off in the Midwest. You get this disturbance that pushed out of the Rockies. This is the one I'm talking about. That's going to reinvigorate and push up. And then of course down to the southeast you can see the rain showers along Memphis over in Dallas. Florida's looking pretty decent. Partly cloudy skies. We're going to follow the wind and you can see the wind field associated with this storm just work its way up through the Midwest. We're going to see gusts up to 40 miles per hour in some locations with that all the way down to the Florida Panhandle and the precipitation. It's going to follow. Of course, we're going to see precipitation amounts two, three inches. And then when we get to the snow north of that freeze line, it's going to pile up as well. The snow estimates, of course, are going to pile up snow out in the mountain uh, west and north of Phoenix. We're going to see quite a bit of snow pile up and then you'll see this trend in this vein of heavier snow, maybe six to 12 inches just to the north of Chicago 
of course, the track of that storm is going to dictate exactly who gets snow and who does not. All right, so for tomorrow, temperatures are going to be relatively mild for the country. Tomorrow night, we're down to 74, a mild 74 in Miami. But Bismarck, you are going to be cold. Yes, it's going to be chilly. Let's see what happens, though, on uh, tomorrow. We're going to see temperatures rebound. Look at these temperatures in Brownsville, Texas, 94, South Florida, 85, even Chicago, 39. That's about where they normally would be for this time of the year. Let's take a look closer to home in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mostly sunny skies, high 78, a low 55. Chico, California, mostly sunny, 53 and 29. And Hinesville, Georgia, partly sunny, 85 and 62 for the low. African swine fever is back in the headlines. We'll have the very latest next. And later, we're headed to the front lines in Ukraine to see the impact war is having on farmers and rural residents in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Maristem Crop Performance. Learn how to get more bushels for less at maristemag.com. African swine fever continues to be an issue overseas with both Germany and Poland reporting cases. In Germany, it's reported ASF was confirmed on a small domestic hog farm in the eastern state of Brandenburg. Poland detected it in five wild boars in the northern part of the country. For the third straight year, ag exports from the U.S. to the Dominican Republic have reached an all-time record with pork leading the way. Pork exports to the Dominican Republic reached $234 million last year. That's a 55% increase from 2021. USDA saying the increased demand for pork products is a direct reflection of the severe impact of African swine fever on pork production in that country, which is estimated to be 30% lower. Soybean meal was the second highest U.S. ag product to the Dominican Republic, reaching $231 million. Up next, war is always ugly. We'll travel to Ukraine for a hard look at the impact on the people living there, including farmers in the country. Get in the game and be part of the 2023 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH. It's farmer versus farmer for a chance to win the $1,000 top prize. Go to agweb.com to fill out your bracket once teams are selected on Sunday, March 12th. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. The war in Ukraine is starting its second year, and the people who live there are caught in the middle of a bloody battle, including the country's farmers. Farm Journal President Charlene Fink recently sat down with global philanthropist and Illinois farmer Howard G. Buffett, who has traveled to the country five times this past year, where he's witnessed the ravages of war and its impact on its people. The world watched as millions of Ukrainians fled a Russian invasion. One of the largest population shifts since the Second World War. Some 8 million Ukrainians now living as refugees in Europe. Another 6 million displaced within their own country. You just look at this girl and she's just intent on, you know, where she's going, where she's got to get, 
It's a reality Buffett has witnessed firsthand. I just sat there and watched him and photographed him and, and thought, how many families is this tearing apart? Those that stayed face an uncertain future. This village has really captured my kind of attention from the standpoint that the entire village is destroyed. And they said there are 12 people living in the village now. In what was formerly a town of 1,200. With infrastructure destroyed, Buffett's foundation is on the ground, helping to feed the one in three families now facing food insecurity. The World Food Program says 18 million people in Ukraine are in need of humanitarian help. You can't see the group, but this is made up of about probably 90% of people that are 65 or older. I mean, the elderly people just didn't leave their homes. Farmers are among those hardest hit. So one of the things is a lot of farmers are fighting on the front line and dying on the front line. So that has a huge impact on how you continue to function in your agricultural sector. For residents still willing and able to farm, rockets, munitions, and landmines are a constant concern. The one thing that has happened that's going to have a really long-term impact on production in Ukraine is the amount of landmines that have been placed all across the eastern part of the country and some of the southern part of the country. There's tens of thousands, really probably hundreds of thousands of, of, of acres of farmland that can't be farmed maybe for years. Buffett's foundation is helping by providing detection equipment and expertise. And then there's the equipment for the unknown. This is in the morgue and this shows them taking uh, multiple DNA samples. That body is so degraded, deteriorated, that they're taking the DNA from the bones. War crimes investigators are working around the clock to uncover, test, and record evidence from mass grave sites like this one. And this is a mass grave site of 451 bodies. In that graveyard, uh, some of the guys said that there was, you know, 70, 80% of the people showed some kinds of torture. Bodies with hands bound, with broken bones and signs of horror. We are not doing a good job of learning from history. And, you know, the Holocaust was never again. Um, Rwanda was never again. And we are watching never again unfold in front of us. Many of those that stayed paid their passage in blood. I talked to a 20-year-old woman who described to me how she watched her mother shot in the head in front of her, five feet in front of her. While this nation fights for its future. Hundreds of thousands of kids that are refugees. You have hundreds of thousands of kids that can't go to school. You've had thousands of kids that have lost their parents. It's hard to anticipate what that means. It's really hard to anticipate what that. We haven't seen this happen since World War II. A future that will remain forever changed. I think if you really look at what's happening and you look at what the implications are and what the consequences have already been, it's very hard not to say that every country that benefits from freedom and democracy has to stand up. And they need to do it now. We're watching never again unfold right in front of us with tens of thousands of people dying and consequences 
that are really significant to us depending on the outcome. And that's all the time we have this morning. Sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agda and Clinton's have a great day.